Hey team, welcome to another episode of the Intentional Agribusiness Leader Podcast. The podcast where we actually explore the minds of leaders from all around the agriculture and agribusiness space about what it takes to lead intentionally in this industry today. My friends, if there's some value in here for you today, we ask you to subscribe to the podcast, share this with someone who needs to hear the message of what it takes to be intentional. Let's get into the show. Hey team, welcome back to another episode of the Intentional Agribusiness Leader Podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Jeremy Gretke with uh, Syngenta. And thanks for being on here. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no, great to be here, Mark. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. Well, let's get into it. Let's see if we can create some uh, some wisdom for people today. What uh, what does it mean for you to be intentional, Jeremy? Uh, from an intentional standpoint, with the, in the context of leadership, right? I assume is where we're going. And so, yeah. really, where I see this as uh, we apply it uh, in our team here uh, in the Computational Agronomy Group, it's it's making uh, decisions and taking actions, right? Um, and so, making sure they're aligned to our objectives and goals, but I seen a lot of times over the years, decisions can get made, but no action being taken, right? Um, in that nature. And so making sure those two things come together uh, against you know the goals and and objectives you're trying to achieve um, is really key uh, for us. Yeah, I love it. What do you think causes people to get stuck in in the uh, from the intention to the actual execution or the decision to the actual execution? Um, I, one, several things, right? But the biggest one that I've seen over the years is is they don't feel like they're empowered to to take the action, right? You get the group together, whatever size of group and team you're working on, uh, maybe a decision is made, but then the clear action and accountability and empowerment for the individual members or different parties that are responsible, they they just don't feel like they have the, con- not confidence, but empowerment uh, to go out and, and execute that because They'll start doing things and then they talk to somebody else and they're like, oh, we're going forward with this. And so it's a communication um, and empowerment problem that tends to happen. Uh, The decision's not communicated out um, to where we're headed uh, effectively and clearly to the rest of the organization. And then the teams just struggle with that empowerment. They're saying, oh, we're we're charging this way. Uh, Those are the two that I see that struggle within the organizations. Yeah, I think think you're right. I call that well, well intended, but poorly executed. (laughs) <laughs> that's usually the, the category that that falls into. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks out here, a lot of organizations uh, in, in the ag industry struggle with talent retention today. What, you know, what for you works from an intentional leadership standpoint, what's, what's worked for you either as an employee or as a team leader uh, around trying to retain and attract good talent? Um, biggest thing is making sure that the, the talent is working on the, the right problems. Um, when, Talent tends to work on problems that don't get to market or or kind of die off. Again, back to that uh, conversation of decision and taking action, like talent gets frustrated. They're like, I'm here to build and do things, especially in our world where we're more in the building and creative side uh, in computational agronomy. But I've seen it in the sales process and other kind of world, industries and organizations is that when you work on something and it never manifests to anything, right? The talent gets frustrated. Uh, and they leave. And so for us, um, we have a really good retention, um, frankly, because we work on innovative and and cool, hard problems. And so that's an easy way to attract talent. 
Um, the, our problem with retention tends to be that is they, they get burnt out because the product didn't get out to the field or to the customer or to the retailer or whoever we're going for as a customer. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that aspect of being able to see your hard work actually manifest into something, right? That's a, that's a big component of, I suppose, gratification. Yeah. And, and one of the problems that, you know, especially myself and other leaders on my team, we really have to focus our energy around is making sure that, because we're kind of a back-end team, right? We're, we're not front and center out uh, on the, the front side. We're kind of the back-end brain trust, as you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So we really have to focus our efforts to connect the dots to say, hey, your API endpoint for phonology modeling ended up in this front end and the customer used it in this way, mm-hmm. right? They get, they're disconnected. They're, they're several arms away from that final product and, or the final customer. And so we really have to have some intentional effort around making sure, hey, no, you got it to the endpoint, you got the API, but like this is actually how it was used. Yeah. Um, and so we have to spend time making sure we tell the story back into our teams uh, and that to help them retain and, and how they basically feel engaged and involved in, in part of the whole solution. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's actually really insightful because I, I know a lot of people that struggle in, in actually knowing, like, well, what does their role, what does their contribution really mean to the overall, what is the, P, the P&L, the company, the customer, whatever, right? But actually knowing that my my role matters in that, I think that's, a, that's a, there's probably a lot of companies that miss the opportunity to help people understand their role in that. So that's really, really good, man. Let's talk about culture a little bit. So um, I say this often uh, in these interviews, but I think a lot of people talk about it. It's a good buzzword. Uh, I, I think that few are unfortunately super intentional about building great culture. Like there's a lot of accidental cultures out there. So curious on your take on what, where, where does intention, intentional leadership play into creating a great culture? Yeah. I uh, couldn't agree more. Um, and, and, and to be very transparent, we actually kind of have an internal um, uh, experiment in a sense going on around culture, um, kind of haphazardly, we got into this experiment was, uh, so computational agronomy at Syngenta group, uh, really was formed about, uh, almost two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, as I came in as the leader and all the different groups were under different leaders in the past. And so when we pulled everybody together, uh, almost two years ago, we had lots of cultures in a sense, because even in one large or in one organization such as Syngenta, there are multiple cult subcultures that happen right in an organization. And so we had to start bringing we brought all those together. Well, um, changing and getting into a, a directive culture is, is one problem, but we actually had multiple experiments going on, which ended up kind of being a nice thing in the retro here. And so we have a group actually out of uh, our Brazil uh, geography uh, within our remote sensing computer vision team that are hugely kind of intentional about culture. I mean, they spend time, they have meetings, they have conversations direct about culture and and that we're trying to build. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we've seen, and we just got done with a massive employee-wide survey, right? So we could really see this measurement of this and that we had this massive engagement in, in culture around out of that group compared to all our other groups. And so we ended up really being able to pull apart. And now that's where we're headed here for 24 is taking those learnings and applying it. And I would say the fundamental learning is you have to invest the time. Mm -hmm. Um, To your point, many people will put up two or three PowerPoints of 
These are our values, these are our cultures, these are our principles, whatever it is that you want to call it, our mission, vision. Um, but they don't spend time in meetings and in one-on-one -on -one sessions with their teams to like implement that. Um, and it's not about talking, it's about doing uh, on the culture. And so we actually stumbled into this and we have hard evidence now to show sure. how we can uh, change and move culture faster. Yeah. Fascinating. If you don't mind sharing it just a little bit. So how, how do you measure that or what, what are, what specifically are you, are you measuring? So, you know, corporate America is great at sending out employee engagement surveys, right? Sure. At the end of yeah. the day. Uh, and so we do, we, we send out a large corporate uh, engagement survey uh, that measures, you know, 12, 15 principles, things like, again, are you looking to leave as an employee? Are you engaged? Do you understand the strategy of the organization, right? Uh, 15 different principles. And, and we had this clear signal then, again, that that culture in the Brazil market was significantly more engaged, understood how they fit into the puzzle of the corporate strategy, how their work contributed. Wasn't like our other teams were bad, but like it was a significant difference. Um, and the fundamental thing when we did a retro then, like, okay, so what what is going on? Why are we so much uh, in tune uh, in this part of the world and in this, in this group? And it, oversimplifying it down, it was time investment. Uh, we were spending more time in that world uh, invested in culture. Hmm. Do you think that was, is that driven by a group? Is that driven by a certain individual? I'm curious what, what sparks that in that specific yeah. group in that part of the world versus others. Uh, so it's, uh, I think our synopsis is it's a double effect. One is the culture, natural culture of the Latin um, in that nature. Uh, just a, the culture comes together uh, as a whole, yep. uh, more right. than the Americans, uh, frankly. Uh, and the second is, is it came from a, a startup culture. And so it was part of an acquisition. If you go back through time with Syngenta Digital, uh, we acquired a startup company out of that market. And in startup cultures as a whole, and I've worked with many over the years, tend to focus more time on culture. Um, they're a smaller group, smaller organization, it's easy to iterate and can keep doing it in that. And so we saw that ripple effect continuing after the acquisition. Um, and, and now we're, we're trying, we're not trying, but bringing those principles in, again, time investment, actually sitting down with the employees, having meetings, uh, having conversations, and, and, and following up on your actions, right? Rewarding the actions you you're looking for, like, decisive decisions, you know, bias to action, right? You you reward people that are doing those principles and culture that you want. Um, and that, that somebody else sees that too, right? And so they start doing the same thing. Yep, absolutely. Uh, two, two things from that, you know, one, good, good, uh, good news for those of you listening that actually have a small organization, startup culture, listening to this, like now's the time, <laughs> right? To really be intentional, to focus a lot on that. And and as the as your organizations grow, as teams grow, it's harder to go back and try to re-implement because now you're living with that accidental culture, right? Uh, so it's, it takes a lot more work to go back and try to redo it than it does to do it from the get-go. Second thing is, man, I love Hispanic culture, especially when I go down to Mexico, when I go, 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 I go to South America a fair amount, uh, have a little property down in Colombia. And uh, when we go down there to visit, I mean, it's you, if you walk around at night, you know, walking through the street and the villages and the towns, people are, most people are not sitting inside binge watching seasons of whatever on Netflix. They're out in the streets, man. Like they're, they're out maybe sitting on the, on the side of the road, having beers or, or communing or dancing or whatever. But it, 
when you walk through almost any Latin American country or South American country in the evening, it's vibrant. Yeah. There's a lot of connections. So I think there's probably some lessons that we can learn <laughs> by, uh, by paying attention. Whereas you know, you walk through us, any, any of the, the rural towns, small towns, even small cities that most of us live in, you just don't see that level of engagement. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it, uh, and we work with a highly, um, culturally diverse organization. I mean, course, every, yeah. our team is from uh, South America, North America, the Europe market, as well as uh, India. And and you just have them, the, the natural culture of, of, those, of those populations. Some are more comfortable talking about things in culture and others aren't, right? Uh, it, it just comes up with the upbringing and how they grew up. And so it is, you want to watch that and, and work through that uh, as an organization. Sure thing. Well, it's uh that that's that's all good stuff, man. Let's talk a little bit more about Jeremy. What uh, from your perspective, what's the what's the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome over the course of your career? <laughs> Change management, man. Uh, <laughs> getting uh, whether that's with my kids uh, or with people I work with, right? Change management is, is fundamentally, I think, the hardest thing. I mean. You know, everybody will say like machine learning, AI, or those type of, you know, business, maybe trying to close a big customer or whatever, right? Those are all relatively easy, solvable problems in the grand scheme of things. Uh, there, there's usually a solution for them. But to me, change management is the hardest one. Uh, and the reason it's so hard is, is that for the most of my career, it seems like you, you, you come into a, an, a role or a project, uh, you get it going, and it takes maybe the one, two, three, whatever time period it is you finally get in the, the organization in the groove, right? I don't care what you're doing. And right. then people start to change roles. Um, yourself, maybe you did a great job as a leader in that role and you, you get a promotion and you move on. And so you start all over from scratch, right? Um, and so that's really, to me, the fundamental thing. I mean, it's not hard to get, it's hard to get people to see your point of view because not everybody comes from the same context. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, you may have grew up on a farm and have a great understanding of rural agriculture and pr production ag. Yeah. And then you're starting to talk to a data scientist that, you know, grew in the city in the urban market and understands statistics and modeling. Like those are way too different, you know, context backgrounds that you're trying to get people onto the same page to move forward. Yeah. And so that that bringing that together and, and having everybody see through your eyes or the company's eyes is, is always the hardest thing. That's it's actually really insightful and really, uh, I mean, just on top of it. I mean, when you think about all the different opinions and attitudes and experience levels and life experience and business experience, and you're, you're trying to get every time you have a new team, you got to get everybody pulling together in the same direction. So that is, it's a huge challenge. I get it. What's, what's been your biggest win? Oh, uh, biggest win. Um, I don't, I don't know if I have a biggest win. I have a, a, a lot over the years. I've been part of some great projects, uh, in my mind, um, that, and, and I, I'll put the context into ag, ag impact. Sure. Um, you know, when I was part of uh, the pioneer organization, we launched one of the, the leading drought innovations. Uh, mm -hmm. so saving water, uh, producing more with less, uh, Aquamax was the product back in the day. And just to be part of that team of talented individuals that were able to bring genetics, agricultural management, um, and and really the the business model together uh, to impact growers, um, because you know drought in the in the West is, is a lifer, you know, 
growers are going to be profitable or not, basically, if you don't have that. And so those are key wins uh, over the years. Um, I think today my biggest win as a leader is to honestly see some of my team members uh, grow and pass me, uh, maybe in, in, in talent and skill set. Um, you start to see this, you know, LinkedIn has been nice about that. You can kind of watch people from afar and, and mm -hmm. see their career grow. Um, and so those are always fun to see when other people grow and, and outpass you, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's the ultimate goal, right? <clears throat> Love it. What, uh, who's been somebody you've admired and learned from over, over the course of time? Um, so, um, you know, from a pure agronomy standpoint, uh, it'd be like Norman Borlaug, right? Um, the guy that basically kind of was stubborn in a sense, uh, to with where he worked with, with Summit and those, to, he had a vision of how he could bring, uh, you know, dwarf wheat and those to the market, uh, and bring it forward. And, and not everybody always agreed with him. Right. Um, and I think that perseverance that he had, uh, is something I've always looked up to is actually had the pleasure of seeing one of his last speeches at the agronomy society meetings. Okay. Um, you know, so from that standpoint, I see that, um, the other one I'll, I'll throw out there though, is I'll take the the page from Matthew McConaughey. It's kind of myself in 10 years. Like, yeah, that's the piece that I keep striving for, um, is that constant improvement. Um, and it's not from a self-fulfilling standpoint. It's just like, I'm always looking to try to grow. Uh, mm -hmm. I grew up as a, a farm kid in Nebraska, uh, you know, planting and harvesting and, and, you know, doing all the fun stuff and working with cattle and everything. And, and now, you know, I, I lead one of the, the leading tech companies here from an ag standpoint, from a data science standpoint. You, you'd never expect, you know, a farm kid that went out and was counting corn borer and, and diseases in a field to now driving and leading um data science in one of the largest agriculture companies in the world and so where i'm pushing myself every 10 years to see where i go yeah yeah i love that uh great book by the way matthew mcconaughey green lights if you yeah. guys haven't uh, i've listened to it a couple times on some of my road trips because it's uh a you just you, you you can't help but listen to mcconaughey's voice when it's on the radio because it's just it's nice. soothing right <laughs> Uh, but it's a great, it's a great life reflection, kind of a memoir of his and, and uh, a lot to learn. I learned a lot, um, maybe want to live my life at a, at a higher level. So he talks about that concept of competing against yourself or the, you know, you're mentoring yourself, you know, where, where are you going to be in 10 years? So love that. And uh, I actually got to have breakfast with Norman Borlaug nice. the morning, the morning that I graduated from university of Minnesota, I was the, <clears throat> I was the college of agriculture student body president, if you are student board president. And, uh, so my parents and I got invited to breakfast at the university of Minnesota president's mansion with the college of ag professors, the regents, everybody. And, and, uh, Borlaug was there. So our, our student board that I led had formed a committee and went and pleaded with the Dean to let us choose the commencement speaker that year. Uh, cause he had always chosen someone on his own and nobody ever liked it. And so we were very intentional about this and we got to put together our top five picks and we put Borlaug at the top because we figured he's a busy guy. He's getting up there in years at that point. I think he was 90 at that stage. And, um, you know, like chances are he's not going to be able to accept, but he did. And so, uh, yeah, I got to I actually got to sit next to him on stage at commencement and uh, I spoke and then he spoke and nobody will ever remember, including me, what I said, because what he, <laughs> but he was incredible. So very, uh, very big legend in the space for sure. Yeah. Good. What, um, 
what kind of other than green lights, what kind of book uh, resources would you recommend to, to those listening in for, for furthering their growth and education? And, you know, especially in the, the context here of intentional leadership, the, the one that I've read and, and really like, it's from some Simon Sinek, The Infinite Game. Mm, yeah. Um, and so the reason I bring that up is there's tons of great books, Measure What Matters and all those, uh, mm. um, Startup Way and all those. Those are more tactical, right? Um, at the end of the day, yep. you really want to focus in on the leadership. I'd recommend The Infinite Game. It, it really helps you as a leader try to reset from the the quarterly and annual, you know, mindset, right? Um, ag is one of the largest infinite games, right? It was one of the first basically um, industries ever, right? We have to feed ourselves and it's never going to go away, right? We, we right. will always have to eat and feed from a feed standpoint. Uh, and so it really helps you think through that, right? Um, finite games, basketball, football, right? There's a start and end. Uh, things like agriculture, there's really no end game. And I think we often as leaders get caught up in that, that, hey, I got a quarterly report or sales target I got to hit um, in that. Those are nice objectives, but that's not the fundamental thing that really you got to think through. Um, as an example, I was leading an e-commerce uh, program to sell one of the first bag of seeds online. Mm. And we and I remember my fundamental punchline to the whole team was is like, Hey, we're we're gonna fundamentally change ag and and online purchasing. Our careers will end, or we'll move on to different projects. But e-commerce um, will continue for for a long time, and so will ag sales. At whatever rate of growth, I don't care. But this is fundamentally changing, and we have to think through that mindset. That don't get yourself caught into what your little part of the project is. This is a larger impact. Uh, again, the infinite game at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating book, and uh, love the the concept. And just un just understanding the basic concept between finite games and infinite games is really a mindset changer. We share that with a lot of our coaching clients to, to really understand which game you're in. There are games that last for a season, and they they will be over. <laughs> and ultimately, there's the one that that just keeps going. So that's a yeah, great recommendation. Um, energy is important when you're when you're leading teams, especially if you're trying to do so intentionally. So, what's your strategy for keeping your energy up? Uh, my strategy is there's two kind of things. Um, one, get outside. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I like the the adventure uh, component. You know, mountain biking, snowboard. I don't care what you do, frankly. It, I mean, it, I'm more the outdoor extreme kind of sports adrenaline, a minor adrenaline junkie, right? You know, those type mm -hmm. of things that keeps the energy going. Uh, it gives you something to go after and train for. Again, I believe in targets and goals. And so, you know, if I'm going to go do a mountain bike trip uh, for 70 miles, I got to get my training and activity up. And so that helps my energy and it ripples through. I've seen it over the years. Um, like most people, I'm sure you ebb and flow through your exercise life cycle. Mm -hmm. And when it starts coming down, I see my productivity go down as well. Uh, and when I'm a consistent exercise, you know, I go to the gyms pretty much every day. Uh, my energy is much better. Um, so exercise to me is a big piece on energy. Uh, to keep your mind clear and and, and keep thinking and, and processing. Yeah, love it. That's what I want to hear more people say. Not everybody has said that. Not everybody has brought that up in all the different interviews. I'm glad. I'm glad you did. I'm a big uh, a big believer. Any of my clients that are listening know that we we promote that. We start our thriving leader with a kickboxing workout at 6 a.m. Uh, we start that program early and we start it with sweat. 
<laughs> yep. So that we give people the experience of like, hey, this is what it feels like to feel good. Right. You may be tired at the end of it, but this is what it feels like to feel good. And you can tell them that, but it's better just to give them the experience. So All right. what yeah, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, whatever, maybe it's time blocking, managing their calendars, keeping their priorities in you know in line. What works for you for being able to maximize productivity, especially with so much data, influence, team? I'm sure there's a lot of people putting stuff on your calendar too, right? So what's uh, what's your tips for maximizing productivity? Um, Delegation is one of them. <laughs> Actually, you know what? A lot of people need to listen into that because there's also some people listening that are addicted to just doing it because they think if I do it, it gets done right. Yeah. And I don't have, then it doesn't have to get redone. The customer's not going to get mad, et cetera, but they also limit themselves, right? So yeah, yeah delegation. I, delegation's a good one. I, I mean, I'm in a little bit of a, somewhat I think a little bit of a bind and I've been trying to work through it here as I work on this because I have such a time zone problem for my team. Again, yeah. I'm working with a team from India um, to the central U.S. time zone. So massive time zone. So my mornings, you know, are just slammed because it's the most overlap uh, here in the central U.S. time zone that I really got to work on. And so um, from being productivity, you know, my mornings, which is works out good for me because wake up, coffee, get going and hits it um, and then hit that energy piece in the afternoon. So check out, go to the gym and, and do that. And then the other piece is, like I said, delegation. And then I also time box like mm -hmm. period first Friday, every month it's blocked. Um, yeah. and that is my critical think time. Um, I work personally, it's just Fridays, my mind's light. I've got like the stress is off your shoulders cause it's Friday. Um, yeah. so I can, generally critically think better. Um, but I've got to block the whole time. Um, otherwise somebody will consume it in. So ghost mm -hmm. meetings and, and productivity, uh, time blocks are key. And, and to me, delegation, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you got to know what you need to work on as a leader, Yeah, uh, at whatever I, level you're at. Well, and I think a lot of people struggle to give themselves permission to do that. Right. Which and and I would question the level to which you can actually be intentional, since that's the theme of this podcast. If you're not, especially if you're at a high level of leadership in an organization, um, if you if you got any sort of team and you're just always in the field or always reacting, there you, you don't have those minutes to go get your brain focused on what would make you more intentional, right? So that's a yeah, that's a big one. Glad to hear that. So, all right, what's uh, what's 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 on the improvement block? If you're uh, if, if if we're working on the next ten years, what's what's next year got on in store for you that you want to grow with? Uh, you know, uh, there's probably two on that list. Is one as a group uh, within our group uh, is communication, um, both externally. Uh, we don't do a good job of just telling the story of what we do, uh, and so for us next year is a lot of that's going to be communication. So you'll start seeing, and, and we've started a little bit of this more, you know, outfacing like LinkedIn post of the work that computational agronomy does. Um, cool. And so it's just telling the story. Um, it's like everything. If you don't tell your story, somebody will make it up for you. Uh, and so we really are trying to push that communication out uh, of what we're working on here at Syngenta and computational agronomy. So that's a big one for the group. Uh, personally, it's just, really trying to hone in on that leadership piece, um, being more intentional. So it's a great podcast for it. 
but being more intentional again on culture and, and that time management component, because we've got the wish list that gets too long, like everybody does. And we've really got to hone in and, and bring that down. Um, good, bad, or ugly. That's like my Christmas break uh, objective is like I can block out everybody else and then I can focus in on it. Um, yeah. I'll get plenty of time off, but it'll, I can, it allows me to focus and, and really get to that. Cool. I like it. For those listening, driving down the road right now, since you brought it up and said you're going to talk about it more, uh, what is computational agronomy? What's the, give us the, the 30,000 foot view from your seat. Yeah, no. Uh, so here at Syngenic Griff and, and what computational agronomy is, is right, it's the codification of, of agronomy, right? Um, and that's the, the plant physiology processes, disease management. So what we really do within our organization is, is we turn basically what I learned at school, right? Uh, or if you're an agronomist, you went to school, whatever school it was. I'm, I'm a husker, so go big red. But, uh, you know, you learned agronomy, you learned disease, you learned phenology, uh, you learned irrigation management, you, you know, you learned all the basic principles. And then you went out into the field and you used your eyes, your ears, your fingers, your senses, you know, your perception uh, to bring it all together and, and give that grower, that uh, advisor, retailer a recommendation, right? You know, spray this, plant this, do whatever. And that's really fundamentally what we do. Uh, and so with the evolution of AI, large language models and perception technology of computer vision, we do everything from a basic GDU model to computer vision, like take a picture and I'll tell you what the weed is, uh, computational uh, disease modeling, right? Uh, so we do all of that. And then that all ends up in a, in a product called CropWise uh, in the ecosystem that we work with around the world. So we've deployed uh, models uh, from, from China to North America and everywhere else in between. Uh, and so that's what we do on a day job and, and keep it up. Cool. Fascinating stuff, man. It's a lot of change, a lot of advancing going on in the industry. The I mean, I've talked to several companies that are doing everything from gene editing to machine learning on all kinds of stuff since we started doing this podcast. And it's been really fascinating to just learn all the different components. So uh, last question, let's bring it in for landing, man. Uh, and, and this is sometimes, sometimes this is the toughest one, sometimes not. But uh, how important is vulnerability in being able to create that intentional work environment? Um, yeah, uh, how important, I don't know if I have an answer on how important, um, I do think vulnerability is key in the sense, and especially for our group and what I'll define vulnerability and the willingness to accept failure, um, Mm. uh, in that sense is the way I'm going to kind of context it because we generally, my group is working on things that, you know, are are cutting edge and that nature. And so we have to fail fast. And so if we're going to build a computer vision model or or leverage chat GPT and large language models, like we have to have the team comfortable of experimenting and going down a path and taking a left turn and then going down this path and going a different way. And so from that standpoint, I think it's hugely important that the team is willing to say, hey, I don't think this is the right path. We need to take a left turn um, and use this training model or, or this instance um, because I and I have seen this where if they're not willing to raise their hand and say we made a mistake or we're headed the wrong way, we just keep going the wrong way um, it, because it's like there's a fear of um, repercussion or something, even though it's not there, like it's just they just keep charging and we have to have that vulnerability uh, in the willingness to raise their hand and say, Hey, I think we need to go a different way. Mm-hmm. 
love it. That's, that's a great answer and super, super practical. And a lot of people just don't, they don't raise their hand for fear of that repercussion. And as silly as it is, it's, it's a very human thing that we do. And, yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's the piece that, you know, the employee, the data science, whoever it is, that's working on it fears that if they raise their hand and change it, that we'll miss the deadline for delivery. Right. The reality is that's fine. That may be the, the outcome, but if we just push out the wrong thing, there's actually a bigger negative effect of that. Um, and, and so uh, that's what we've really got to coach them on is it, you got to really understand what's the lesser of the two evils, missing a deadline or delivering the wrong product. Obviously missing the deadline is the lesser of two evils here. We can explain right, that. Right. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. Well, this has been, uh, been fascinating. You're a wealth of knowledge and, and resources, and I re- really appreciate the time uh, having this conversation. Any last thoughts you want to throw at me before we um, bring it in for a landing today? I got one for you, Mark. What do you okay. consider intentional leadership? What's important for you on that as we close oh, this out? What, uh, what do I consider it to be? Well, <clears throat> here, here's an interesting observation after I think you're about interview 41. Um, that I've done of these so far. And we've been stacking as we get ready for our launch. And probably by the time people listen to this, it'll be well launched and we're probably a few months into it. But uh, if you go back and listen to all the episodes and you and you listen to that first question, what's it mean for you to be intentional? <clears throat> I have 40 different answers. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, and I was thinking about it after all this, I'm like, wow, there really is no standard for what does it look like to be intentional. And so uh, we're going to be launching a training at intentionaltoolbox.com that will walk people through and there's a real framework. And so to some extent, I'm not avoiding the question, but there's a little bit of an Easter egg and people need to go get that. They need to go get that training. So there, I'll give you my full definition uh, and, and everything that goes with it. But here's what it is. I'll, show, I'll share with you what it is, right? So there's, there's a difference between the, the framework definition of kind of here's how Okay, that's that's one side of it, but then here's what it is. When I see leaders that are that I find to be truly intentional, there's what I call a level of saturation within that human that makes that person feel different to me when they're leading me intentionally. And I don't know if that fully gravitates into people's minds when they think about that, but there's there's a saturation around people that just seem to give a damn a little bit more. Does that make sense? Or there's just something there that there's something about them that's different. And my argument is that I'm far more likely to attract and retain the great people by being that, that having that, that bit of energy. Uh, so there's, there's a saturation. And then uh, there's also, I find in many ways, there's an overflow, uh, kind of a feeling of overflow that comes from that person. So they're not someone who an intentional leader to me is not someone who's holding on to all the things for, uh, for fear of hurting their ego's feelings, right? They're letting, they're delegating easier. They're building people around them easier. They're actually getting more done because they're the type of per, an intentional leader to me is that type of person who really is looking at all the potential in the field of people that surrounds them. And they're actually getting more. So there's, they're, they're more of a channel, um, for information, a channel for energy, a channel for influence. And back in the FFA days, we used to define leadership as leadership is influence. I can remember saying it again and again as an FFA kid growing up, leadership is influence, right? And I think that comes from Maxwell, right? And so, uh, and I don't, I don't disagree. I think it absolutely is, but what kind? There's a lot of ways that you can influence. And so uh, that intentional influence, and there are 
there are leaders. In fact, I just talked with a guy uh, just before this from from Winfield who, who doesn't make sense, right? Gr- uh, grew up in a, in a city environment and has, you know, because of just some intentional leaders guiding him with the right words and the right leadership and the right, you know, conversation or a lunch here, a dinner there, just a little bit extra time here or there. And like, you know, here's a guy who never would have made it into the ag industry that's now in a significant leadership role within a big ag company. So that's the, those are some of the effects that come from, uh, from, from intentional leadership. And the, and the last thing I'll say is this is the reason that I'm, we, we, I decided to create this podcast. The reason that I'm speaking now, uh, the new keynote is called powerful intention, uh, is cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there, uh, who are probably, probably pretty good at what they do, but they're not really living. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, the, the unfortunate downside of that is that, um, you know, like when, if we're raising our kids, like my kids, you know, you, you know, I mean, kids don't always do what they, what you say, but they do, they do what they most commonly see you do. Yep. So if I'm a dad and I'm not showing up as on fire in life as I could, <clears throat> um, then that means that my son who's eight, right. There's probably a time in life where he gets to be that way too. And he doesn't know how to work his way out of it. Yep. So I don't agree. Yeah. There's, there's a deep intention behind this work. No, cool. Yeah. Looking so, forward to the, the series. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And to get to full, to get the full framework, you guys got to go to intentionaltoolbox.com. You probably heard that in the intro or the outro, but that's where, uh, uh, there'll be a, there's a free training there for you guys to go and go and grab that. So sounds good, Mark. Cool. All right, man. Thank you. I hope today's episode brought you a great deal of value about what it takes to lead life and lead in this industry with intention. If you want to go deeper on the topic of leading with intention, I encourage you to head on over to intentionaltoolbox.com and get the seven free tools that will help you to lead your life in all areas with a greater deal of intention. That's intentionaltoolbox.com. And finally, if, if this message resonated today, if there was something in here that you got value from, I promise you there's someone else in your life who also would get value from this. So please share the episode, share the podcast, and make sure that you subscribe.